Yeah, suffering in Paris. Suffering in Paris. Yes. The big, the big decision of the day is which pastry are you going to choose from the local bakery? Really difficult. Um, I was reading uh, some Bob Goff this week, and Bob Goff is probably the most enthusiastic Christian that I have ever heard speak. Um, he he kind of speaks almost in sign language. He's very enthusiastic. He once gathered a group of friends together at a parade, and they decided that they would do an experiment, see how many helium balloons it would take to, to get one of their friends to lift off the ground. So they kept tying balloons until literally their, their friend, uh, the lightest of the bunch apparently, actually started floating. So this is a, a Bob Goff kind of guy, crazy in some, some ways. He's actually a lawyer. Uh, kind of a human rights activist. He's a justice advocate, probably best known for his work that he's been doing in Uganda. And uh, incredible stories of him rescuing victims of violence and bringing uh, perpetrators to justice. It, it's been unbelievable. And so he's got this kind of two tracks, this goofy, crazy side and this sort of absolutely transforming the world side. Uh, he wrote this book called Love Does. And Bob says something I think that's really profound that that actually most of us, we tend to agree with Jesus. We're fans of Jesus. But Bob says, he says, I want to move from agreeing with Jesus to doing stuff. He's apparently got a little post-it note on his bathroom mirror in his bathroom that that says three things. It says, love God, love your neighbor, do stuff. (laughs) He says, you want to rock your businesses and your churches and your neighborhoods? Just do stuff. In fact, I, I like Bob so much, I'd like to give you a, just a 30-second clip or so of a video. He does these little video encouragements, and this is one of his that he uh, gave. Uh, let's watch the screen. Hey, it's Bob Goff here. I'm standing with San Diego behind me. There's millions of people that live here. Really terrific city, probably like yours. And sometimes I wonder, you know, where do I start? I mean, what do you, who do you love first? Because there's so many to pick from. It was always a lawyer, a guy like me, who's trying to set up Jesus. Remember, he said, tell me the big commandment. What's the biggest one of all? And he said, love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Oh, love your neighbor like yourself. And so I think Jesus just made it easy. Like, walk out tomorrow, look to your left, look to your right, look ahead of you. There you go. You got three choices. Just pick one. Go love him, and you'll know more about what you do with your faith next. Hey, let's watch it again. It was so good the first time. I, I, love, I love Bob. I love his, his spirit. And uh, I love the fact that Jesus, I, he knows that we can so easily forget what it's all about. He, we can kind of miss the main thing, you know. And, and so he, he makes it simple for us. And Jesus, uh, greatest teacher ever, but he knew how to crystallize something in just a few words. And that's what he does in our text this morning. He gives us this focused and, and pro- powerfully profound, potentially life-altering line. Just, just a sentence. The passage that we're going to be looking at today is considered by many to be the most profound bit of teaching that Jesus ever gave. And again, it's profound because of its simplicity. It's profound because anyone, anywhere can do it. It's immensely flexible. It's culturally appropriate in any culture. It'll work. It's simply this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Would you please stand with me as we again read the text? So in everything, do to others 
what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. That statement of Jesus is uh, commonly known as the golden rule. In fact, in the third century, Empress, emperor, I should say, uh, Alexander Cerverus, liked the phrase so much that he actually had it inscribed in actual gold on his wall. Um, maybe something that we could do or not. Maybe uh, just in our hearts would be enough. But it's a, probably a good idea. Uh, the golden rule, when we practice it, when we do to others what we would have them do to us, it's, it's good. It's, in fact, it's golden. And that can actually transform the way in which we relate to our world. In fact, it can, can change the world when we practice the golden rule. Now, one of the things I want you to notice is that the golden rule, this principle, isn't unique to Christianity. It actually predates Christianity, and it's found in almost every ancient religion, uh, philosophical system, set of ethics. It's there in, in some way, shape, or form. Islam has a version of it. Uh, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism has it. Confucianism, uh, Judaism. They all have a version of the golden rule. Even the mafia has a version of the golden rule. It's do it to others before they do it to you. Now, the, the version Jesus gives us is, a di is different from what we find in all the other ancient versions of the golden rule. Take a look at how Confucius gave the golden rule. L just listen for the difference. What you do not want, want done to yourself, do not do to others. Virtually every other version of the, the golden rule is like this. Now, how is that different from what Jesus said? Jesus transformed this to do to others what you would have them do to you. Do not do to others do to others? What's the difference? Well, on, on one hand, we're refraining from doing harm to others, to, to people. Um, kind of like that, uh, uh, that uh, pledge that's often been uh, attributed to, to doctors. Uh, first, do no harm, right? And that's a start. But on the Jesus side of the golden rule, Jesus is stating positively, not just to keep from doing what harms, but to positively do what brings a blessing to others. Let's ponder for a moment what that might look like. Um, we've had a little bit of a rainy weekend. In fact, Friday night it rained quite heavily. Imagine you're out driving and you're on the Lowheed Highway and you see a car pulled over to the side of the road with their hood up. And you see a, a person standing out by their car. They're getting drenched, drenched in the rain and they're kind of, they're, they're shaking their head and you can tell they're, they're not looking happy and, and they're in trouble. Well, well, what do you do in those moments? If you follow Confucius's version of this particular rule, what you say is, I'm not to harm this person. So maybe you, you move over uh, into the middle lane so that there's no danger of you actually hitting the person. Uh, perhaps you slow down and again move away a little bit so that you're not like putting them in a SeaWorld splash zone kind of experience, you know. But, but you're, what you're doing is you, you wouldn't have done any harm to them, but you didn't actually do them any good either. If you follow uh, Jesus actually isn't satisfied with you refraining from harming someone. He's going to say to you that you stop positively to offer some help. Now, you might not actually physically stop. Maybe you, you slamming on your brakes in the rain with traffic around you is not actually a safe thing to do. It, it would actually cause an accident. That's not practicing the golden rule. You'd be doing harm to other people. But maybe you, you get on the phone and, and you call for help. You call 911. But, but say you know something about cars or you have an umbrella with you um, and, and it's safe to stop, 
then, then according to Jesus, you, you stop. You, you, in Jesus' version of the golden rule, it's, it's not appropriate to do nothing. So we must, mustn't keep just from doing harm. That's actually assumed in the golden rule, but we actually have to try positively to do some good. Um, this is something the early Methodists actually tried to practice. Uh, I didn't know you know this, but the EMCC, uh, our denomination, it has Methodist roots. John Wesley is kind of our hero. You know, we actually, do people have heroes like that anymore? I mean, he's not a Marvel character, but he's our hero. And John Wesley, when he started the early Methodist, he was trying to come up with ways to help them uh, sort of figure out uh, what it looked like to live the Christian life, to, to actually live in such a way um, that would most likely put you on a path to become the person that God wanted you to be. So he came up with these, what, what he called three general rules. And, and first was this, refrain from doing evil. That was the first rule. The second rule was do all the good that you can. And he went on to kind of famously say, do all the good you can everywhere you can, as often as you can, to everyone that you can. And then the third was to practice the spiritual disciplines, like prayer and fasting and, and scripture reading and, and partaking of the Lord's Supper. Uh, practices that help you connect with God and, and grow you spiritually. It strikes me that the first two rules of the Methodists were really the two sides of the golden rule. Wesley was, was drawing straight from it, keep from doing evil, and then do all the good you can to everyone you can as often as you can. So the, so the golden rule has these, these two dimensions. You know, put it off, stop doing, and then kind of put it on, start doing. And in fact, it's a pattern that we see kind of this putting off and putting on pattern we see all throughout the New Testament. Uh, you find it in the writings of Paul and, and, and James. Um, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 put it this way. He says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully, truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So in other words, stop lying and tell the truth. Speak truth. He says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Uh, goes on in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So stop doing that, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And he goes on to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you. So stop telling lies. Start telling truth. Stop stealing. Share with those in, who are in, in need. Don't speak words that, that hurt others. Instead, speak words that, that bring grace to the lives of other people. Um, don't show anger or bitterness or slander towards another, but instead be kind and considerate and, and tender-hearted towards them. This is the, the putting off and the taking on. Now, it's interesting. Jesus, in, in three different ways that there, there are... Um, says in three different ways that there are a set of commandments that summarize the Bible, basically, the, the laws and the prophets. Uh, he said this in three different ways. Uh, by the way, Jesus' Bible was the Hebrew Bible of his day. That would have been the Old Testament. But uh, Jesus says, I can summarize what's in here in three commands. And, and so on one occasion, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We know that very well as the great commandment. And then here in our, our text today, he says, do to others what you would have them to do, do to you. Why? 
for this sums up the law and the prophets. So clearly these are, are two very important rules. When we look at these, we see that the great commandment and the, and the golden rule are really two ways of saying the same thing. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. Same thing. When we talk about doing something to someone, what are we talking about? We're talking about doing the loving thing. Now, love in scriptures is not always that gushy thing that we see on television. It's not affection. It's not necessarily romantic. It's not even really meant to be just a feeling. It can be those things. But generally, love is a way of life, a way of living. It's a practice of loving kindness towards another human being. And so Jesus is telling us here to do, do to others as we'd have them do to us, to love them with, with tender, loving compassion and kindness, to do the loving thing. Now when we think about that, when we think about actually living this, we find it's, it's actually challenging. It's easy to know, very easy words to memorize, the golden rule. You probably knew the words before you came in this morning. It's far more of a challenge to actually live this in our everyday life. What are some of the obstacles to living the golden rule? Well, probably one of them is because we're in a hurry in life. You ever had this happen? Um, You're out driving, uh, you're heading somewhere, and somebody is ahead of you, and they're just going maybe a kilometer under the speed limit. Or maybe they're just going the speed limit. And uh, maybe they even, this, is, this, this has got to be the most frustrating uh, thing I've ever seen a driver do, is they slow down for green lights. You, you ever drive behind somebody who slows for the green light, and they get through, but, you know, uh, you, you end up hitting the red. <laughs> and you're, like, and you're, you're following this person along, and you're driving, and, and, they're, and you're ready to, you're just waiting for that opportune moment to, to lay on the horn, and then... That you're just about at your destination. You realize they're going to the same place. You realize you're actually turning into church together. <laughs> you ever have that happen? Yeah. Happens to me like, to, it's like, hey, Pastor Derwin, good to see you living the talk there, but <laughs> way to go. Um, one challenging Eugene Peterson uh, saying that I quote a lot here uh, because it has uh, meant a lot to me and challenged me a lot is he says that busy people rarely give themselves to the people they love. Busy people rarely give themselves to the one they love. Dallas Willard, um, my wife was reminding me of a saying that he gave. Uh, John Ortberg was sitting down with, with Dallas Willard, this great spiritual thinker, and saying, Dallas, can you sum it all up? What, what would you say is the most important spiritual practice I can uh, include in my life? And, and, and John's ready to take copious notes, and Dallas Willard said one thing ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That was all he said. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Busyness actually turns out to be a huge obstacle to loving. I I think that's part of the message of the Good Samaritan. You've got these these couple of guys who are walking past this this man who's beat up and bloodied on the side of the road, and why don't they stop to help? Because they got somewhere to be, and they're and they're late. And so this is, gonna, this is inconvenient. It's going to squeeze my, my timetable a little bit. Fascinating. They actually studied this. Uh, they did a study at Princeton University campus a number of years ago. Um, Christian theological students were the target of this study. And part of their mission was to get across the university campus in a certain amount of time. They, to, and, and when they arrived there, they were to do this presentation. 
strategically placed on this campus was a man who appeared to have been mugged, and as each theological student made their way across campus, they'd encounter him slumped in an alley with his head down, and he was groaning and, and coughing, uh, really uh, in, in need of assistance. The purpose of the experiment was to find out who would stop, who wouldn't stop, and why. Now, here's the irony of it. All, all of these students were well-versed in the story of the Good Samaritan. Actually, some of them were going across campus to give a presentation in that moment on the, on the Good Samaritan story. And yet, of the ones who were told, before they, they left, of the ones who were told, you're running late, only 10% stopped to help. Uh, of the ones who heard that they had minutes to spare, 63% stopped to help. You see how busyness just almost brought them to a halt? And, what, and really what the study suggests is that the pace of our lives can play a, a large role as to whether we will be indifferent to the sufferings of others or not. And uh, I, it's easy sometimes when you're reading scripture or you're hearing stories like that to somehow think I'd be different. Um, and and I, I look down sometimes on the Pharisee and the, the scribe who, you know, in that story that, that leave the Samaritan lying there, or leave the, the man lying there. But a recent failure in this has truly humbled me. Um, a few weeks ago, we started a, an early morning prayer meeting here at Hillside. 7 a.m., we, we meet in my office in the back corner. We're still meeting and having a great time, by the way. You're welcome to join us. But uh, this is the first, I think it was the first Thursday that we were doing this. And uh, I'm not used to getting up at, I'm, I'm used to getting up at 7. I needed to get up at 6 for the prayer meeting. So I'm getting up at 6, and I'm a little bit harried in the morning. And, and uh, I run to, drive to my uh, coffee shop. I call it my coffee shop. You notice the, how it's described. And I'm, I'm getting out of my car, and I'm, I'm going into the coffee shop to grab a coffee so that I can head off to this prayer meeting. And as I'm getting out of my car, I hear a screech and a crash. And I head up to the street, and I look down to the, the intersection, Mariner and, and uh, Austin, and two cars had, had collided to, into each other. And uh, I couldn't tell how serious it was from where I was, but I could, uh, you know, obviously it was significant. And I don't know if you've ever had this, but in, a, in the course of about two or three seconds, my mind's calculating all my p particular potential responses to this, this event. And I went through, and I'm, I'm like going, are there other, uh, one, I have to be somewhere. If I'm not at the church, uh, there'll be people standing outside waiting for the prayer meeting. That's, that's thought one. So I have somewhere to be. Number two was, is there anyone else that can help? And I looked, and sure enough, there were other cars that were around, and I thought, they'll be okay. And I went in and got my coffee and went to a prayer meeting where I was praying for God to bless our neighborhood. Um, talk about conviction. It didn't even take a couple of minutes for me to feel convicted about that one, folks. I mean, I was driving away and feeling like dirt, right? I remember I just, just uh, what was more important to me. Um, impressing uh, folk here who would have been understanding if I'd stopped to help uh, or, or helping. Busyness can be a huge obstacle to us showing love to those in need. So living the golden rule is, is not so simple. We have to think about it. Not only do we have to think about it, we have to be, cultivate this habit of, of thinking about other people, which is not easy to do. <laughs> what, what happens is for most of us, we're actually pretty self-absorbed, right? We go to bed, and what do we dream about? Well, we dream about ourselves. 
We wake up in the morning, first thing we think about, we think about ourselves, and, and get this, we think about ourselves all day long, right? We do that. And it's awfully hard to overcome that, to think about other people, but the golden rule is asking us to do just that. The Apostle Paul captures the golden rule another way in Philippians 2, where he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, you know when, I, when I think of the golden rule, and I think of, of words that describe people who practice it, I, I think of words like mindfulness, um, thoughtfulness. They're, they're actually uh, aware of their surroundings. They're kind of aware of the people around them. They've got that sort of sensitivity. And uh, I also think uh, one of the biggest words is simply humility, that, that, that practice that Paul was commending to us. They, they don't think... Uh, they consistently are thinking about other people more than they're thinking about themselves. They don't think that they're, they're, they're up here and, and somebody else is down here. It doesn't work that way for them. Uh, I remember at, at some leadership event that I went to a number of years ago, uh, one of the speakers was a pastor of a very large church, and uh, he, he said something that kind of stuck with me. He said, how I treat the custodians at our church says a lot about the person I am and whether I take seriously my faith. He went on to say, he says, I realize that the people who, who clean the toilets here are, are the people that, that make this place possible. Without them caring for the facilities and setting up rooms and taking care of the, the, the building, we couldn't do all that we do. And so he says that my aim is to know all of them by name, to make sure they know that they are respected and appreciated and among the most important members of our team. I, I wonder if, if in your... If in your company, say you're in management, how do you treat the people who are entry-level workers? How do you treat people who are several rungs down the ladder from you? And, and do those people see the, the same measure of respect that you show the boss? Um, you, you know, really, the test of whether you're living the golden rule is, is not how you treat the person who decides what your paycheck is going to be. It's really about how you treat the person who doesn't decide how, what your paycheck is going to be. Because that's part of what the golden rule is asking, is to have that kind of awareness. So the golden rule when it, it is incredibly relevant when it comes to our workplace relationships. But it's also quite relevant as to, to how we actually practice business itself. Um, think of customer service. According to the golden rule, it's really asking how would I want to be treated if I was a customer here. It's, a, it's a, actually a great business tool to think that way. How would I want to be treated? And when you begin to ask that, it, it guides you in, in many, many ways. It even shapes how we be customers at the businesses we go to. I'm, uh, we often shop at Costco, and, and I was thinking about this, how often, uh, asking the question, how should I be a customer? What, what would I do if I, you know, put myself into those shoes? And, and, and uh, I think of how easy it is. You decide at one part of the store that you like something and you put it in your cart, and you decided another part of the store that you don't want that thing, it's so easy to what? To, do you take it back or do you just drop it on top of the pile of food, whatever, whatever it is that's there, right? I think of uh, the, uh, this one speaker we heard years ago that was never stuck, it's stuck with me all these years, is what you do with your shopping cart, especially the one that doesn't have a deposit. It's just a free shopping cart that they offer your, you know, for your benefit. Do you actually just leave it beside your car or do you take it back to where the carts are stored? It's kind of asking that question, is how should I be a customer? How do I treat the, the, the sales staff or the cashier? 
Wouldn't you want to be treated that way if you were the business owner? Now, let me say, um, we're not meant to, ch- to treat the golden rule mechanically. It's, it's actually more of a guide than a goal. It's called a rule, but it's a guide for us. It's, it's tough sometimes to figure out how to apply it. I mean, think about it. Um, using the golden rule, you, you're, you're in, a, in a situation where you need to lay off, you're your, your in management, you need to lay off some employees. Using the golden rule, you'd say, well, I'd never want to be laid off. And so does that mean you don't lay off people? Well, the economy's down, and, and actually it's, it's appropriate to do so. What do you do? Well, you ask, if I was in their shoes, how would I want to be laid off? And then do it that way. So we're not meant to do this kind of mechanically. Uh, interesting example of this. I read uh, this week about a particular traffic cop in Los Angeles. Apparently, traffic cops are not popular around the world. And they're not popular in Los Angeles. In, fa- in fact, complaints get filed all the time against traffic cops. And they, this happens a lot in L.A. And uh, so it's actually quite a, a normal thing. Uh, drivers seem to think that they don't deserve traffic tickets or something like that. Um, police policy that each complaint filed gets put in the, the officer's personnel file. It's there. It tracks with you throughout your whole career. Now, surprisingly, over the last 20 years, a particular cop, his name is Deputy Elton Simmons, has made over 25,000 stops. He's, tra- he's stopped 25,000 vehicles and cited thousands of motorists with, with tickets, with traffic violations, without a single complaint on his record. Pretty remarkable. In fact, uh, when his supervisor, Captain Pat Maxwell, started looking through Simmons' file, he was stunned. He says, I found plenty of commendations but not a single complaint. It was such a shocking story that CBS News actually put a film crew on him to kind of figure out his secret. What did he do differently? And and first they noticed Simmons' kind of pitch-perfect mix of authority and diplomacy without a a trace of arrogance or self-righteousness. Of course, Simmons still hands out plenty of tickets, but they just don't come with a standard guilt trip that you get. Here's how Simmons himself described his approach. He says, I'm here with you. I'm not, I'm not up here. He says, one thing I hate is to be looked down on. I can't stand it, so I'm not going to look down on you. That's the golden rule right there, folks. He's practicing it, treating others how, if he was in those shoes, he's doing actually a difficult thing, but he's doing it in a respectful and, and, and people-honoring way. I mean, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago about uh, judgment and how we are uh, that whole pick a speck out of somebody else's eye. How are we to do that? We're to, to pick a speck out of our neighbor's eye how we would want someone else to pick a speck out of our eyes. And so therefore we do it carefully and we do it gently and sensitively and, and appropriately. Let's think about this for a minute in our family relationships. Uh, in our family relationship, the, the golden rule is central in making family life work well. Parents and children, if, uh, if you're a teenager, it can sometimes be really hard to remember that your parents are human. It's true. You can forget that, that they're actually, you know, sentient beings with feelings. And uh, I'm not thinking of any teenager, teenagers in, in particular. Um, but uh, it can be that way. And, and so the golden rule asks you to consider their thoughts and their perspectives as, as to who they are, their viewpoints, to treat them like you would want to be treated. 
as, as parents, sometimes we're looking at our, child, our teens, particularly, as if they're still infants, they're still young children. And we have to ask the question, how would we want to be treated if we were in their shoes? And it's hard for us to be considerate of, of one another and our families. But this is what the golden rule asks us. This is where kind of the rubber hits the road, where the golden is where we kind of live in our everyday lives. Often it, it requires just a little bit of thoughtfulness. Um, I think in our family, uh, one of the things that's frustrating to, to, to our family, to some members of our family, I'm not me- going to mention any names, but some people in our family have gotten used to the idea that you take your plates to the sink and you just lay them there and you walk away. Whereas, uh, and then they kind of think that the dish fairy comes along and, you know, rinses them off and puts them in the dishwasher. They, they kind of believe that. And when you think about it, how much harder would it be for them to actually rinse their plates and, and, and put them in the dishwasher? It would take them about an extra five seconds. But why didn't they do that? Why didn't I do that? Because we weren't thinking. We weren't thoughtful. When it comes to making marriage last a lifetime, uh, we've, we've had a, a bunch of couples here, uh, we've celebrated some of them recently, who've been married for 50 years. 50 years of marriage. And when you ask them, what, what's the secret of your long marriage? And, and uh, you'll hear again and again something along the lines of, we practice the golden rule. I respect her like I would like to be respected. I, uh, I love him. I, I, I treat him in such a way as I would want to be treated. That's, that seems to be the consistent story from people that I've talked to who've been married successfully for, for, for a long, long time. Um, actually, the golden rule kind of breaks down here too. Uh, if, if you, if you want to practice the golden rule originally, it doesn't always work. It, it's not doing to them entirely as you want them to do to you. It's funny, yesterday I was thinking about this, and I was actually working on my sermon, and Angel was in the living room, and I came out, bursting out into the living room, and I started hugging on her and kissing her and, and giving her all kinds of squeezes, and I said, I'm just working on my sermon material, and I wanted to, you know, do to you what I want done to me. <laughs> but uh, I could say I was practicing the golden rule where it went on Angel's birthday, I go to Home Depot or Rona, and buy her a power sander because that's what I would want. That's probably not going to cut it with her on her birthday that I buy her something like that. With Angel, with my, my partner, I have to think what would be a blessing to her? What would minister to her? It's interesting to me. A couple of years ago, Oscar-winning actor Jeff Bridges was, was asked to identify his worst character defect. Bridges said this. I thought it was pretty profound. He says, not loving enough not having enough compassion, empathy, wisdom. He says, my, my wife and I have been married for 36 years. I'm deeply in love with her, but every once in a while we'll get into what I like to refer to as our deep ancient battle. <laughs> That's so relevant to you. If you've been married a long time, everyone has a deep ancient battle that kind of rec- has a recurring kind of feel to it. But he says it's, it's always very elusive and it's hard to find the real kernel of it, but basically it is about this. You don't get it. You don't get what it's like to be me. Neither of us really understand what it's like to be that other person. And we, we've talked about this before. We've talked about uh, Gary Chapman's love languages, that, that other people might receive love differently than, than, than we do. And we need to become multilingual in our love. In the people around us, in our families, in our workplaces, the people that we relate to, we need to not just think about how I would want to be loved. We actually go to, need to go a further step and how would they want and best receive love from me. That's, that requires kind of, again, that thoughtfulness. I, I wonder, 
this morning, if there are ways that, that you've lacked consideration for your partner or your friends or your parents or your neighbors, because Jesus is saying this rule, this practice is what, where the rubber meets the road in our faith. The law and the prophets are summarized by how well we practice this in the little things and in the big things. Now, just, just I, I want to end with a couple practical thoughts on this because uh, I, I want to leave you some real, with some real hope in how we might actually do this. Just briefly. First, I want you to remember how simple this is. This is not rocket science. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Let me say it this way. You can do this. This is, I, I think, what makes the golden rule golden. I think this is what makes the golden rule genius is that you're not needing to be a Bible expert, a deep, deep thinker. Uh, you don't have to spend weeks in reflection. Uh, really, God's given you a brain, and he's asking you to consider how would you want to be treated in that situation? You can do that. In fact, Martin Luther He said this, he says, the only example Jesus here sets up is ourselves. Simply do to others as you would have them do to you. So how should I treat my next door neighbor? Well, how do I want to be treated by my neighbors? Uh, How should I treat my grown children? How How did I want to be treated when I was a grown child? How should I treat my spouse? Well, how would I want to be treated by my spouse? How should I treat my aging parents? Well, how do I want to be treated when I'm uh, getting older? How do I want to be cared for? How should I treat that waiter at the restaurant today? Well, how would I want to be treated? How should I treat new immigrants to our country? How would I want to be treated if I was new, a a new immigrant in our country? How should I treat someone who is very sick, maybe with cancer or, or with a mental illness? Ask, how would I want to be treated if I were in their shoes? In fact, there, there was an old Aboriginal saying that to do not judge someone until you've walked a mile in their moccasins. I like the, the little note that the comedian added to that. You'll be a mile away, and then you'll have their shoes. <laughs> I, I thought that's good. But actually, it's a good thing to do. But Jesus says you don't even have to you know, be in their shoes. He makes it even simpler. Consult your own best interest and then relate to others out of your own best interest. And when you begin to do that, you know what you end up doing? You're looking in first, but then you find yourself just naturally looking out. It, it's kind of this movement that pushes us outside of ourselves, that, that other's orientation begins to emerge in our lives. So look in, look out. It's brilliant, and anyone can do this. You can do this. And then secondly, we need to remember uh, that the golden rule comes right after this other piece of Scripture that, that Lincoln talked about last week. And actually, the golden rule starts with, therefore... And what we are always called to ask, what is it there for? And if you look at what it's there for, it's right after this piece of Scripture that says, asking and seeking and knocking, and you will receive what you ask and seek and knock for. Right? And it goes on to talk about how great the Father is. You know, you, even though you're evil, know how to good gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will the, the Father give good gifts to you? And so when you're feeling hopeless about, about actually becoming the kind of person who is less self-absorbed and... and, and less self-centered and more others-orientated, and you go, I, I'm a proud guy just generally. How do, how, do, how do I even have hope to change that part of me? Well, here's where you go back to what, what Lincoln's application point last week was. We keep asking the Father to bring that change about in our lives. 
You know, you know remarkably, this week uh, had our home group uh, gathering, and, and one of the questions at the end just got asked, so what is God doing in your life right now? What sign of grace is kind of evident? How is God changing you is kind of the question. And, and one of our group members said, you know, I'm generally a really impatient person. You know, I'm kind of angry when I'm driving in my vehicle, and I'm impatient when I'm at the office, and I'm impatient when I get home. And uh, his, his comment was this. He says, I don't know what's happening to me lately, but I'm becoming a more patient person. I'm finding just without even trying, I'm, I'm naturally becoming patient. He says, I don't, know, I don't know why. And I said, I know why. It's because the Spirit of God is at work in your life, transforming you to, becoming you, to help you become more of what he calls you to be. And he's been giving him a, a longing for a long time to become more of a patient person. And here God is fulfilling that promise as he's just asked and sought. He's receiving. The golden rule is one of those simple rules. When you live it, when you do it, life works better. It just does. And, and God gave it to us as a gift. And, and he calls us to practice it when it comes to our neighbors, when it comes to our families, when it comes to our, our workplaces, at, when it comes to those around us in our world. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Would you, would you pray with me? Bow your heads and let's... Uh, I'd invite you to talk to God this morning.